Hello and welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice stories from all around the world. I'm Michaela Stubbs. Well, Australians are throwing away 1 million tonnes, roughly 200,000 garbage trucks full of plastic bags each year. And by the middle of the century, estimates say there will be more plastic than fish in the oceans. Most of that originates on land and was once in our hands. On today's show, we'll be hearing from Rebecca Prince-Ruiz about Plastic Free July, her initiative to address this massive problem. But first up, we'll hear some excerpts of a fantastic speech about the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement and the Environment by Sam Castro from Friends of the Earth Economic Justice Collective and one of the initiators of the TPP Unions and Communities Roundtable. By the time this show goes to air, we will likely have another government in power that supports the TPP. And if this so-called trade agreement that was signed in February gets implemented, it could seriously undermine the ability of community campaigns to assert their power to stop destructive projects. So here's a recording made at a public meeting on the TPP in Melbourne. I've been trying to work out all week how to do justice, uh, to talk about the environment, the, the planet that we live on, and the impact of a trade agreement. And I've decided that it's almost impossible. Uh, so I'm going to pick out just a few little chunks of that for you in, in, in the short space and time that I have. I'm going to talk a little bit about some examples of ISDS around the environment. And I want to talk about what this agreement means for humanity and the environment when the largest trade deal in history, over 6,000 pages long, doesn't mention the word climate change. 6,000 pages, not one mention. You would think it's disconnected from the economy, right? So... Not only does it not mention the word climate change, but there is not a hint of the concept of climate justice uh, because that would, I guess, involve considering the economic impacts on some of the most vulnerable people in the world that pay the price for our nice uh, first world lifestyles. The fact that this deal doesn't mention climate change really just demonstrates to me uh, that TPP nations, including Australia, are prepared to put the interests of corporations above the interests of the people living on a planet that is increasingly in ecological peril. I know that sounds dramatic and I know it's not popular to talk in words that suggest that perhaps we're headed for an environmental catastrophe, but that's actually where we're at if we don't get our shit together. This agreement, in my mind is written from the mentality of a group of mainly men and corporate men from the 20th century. It is effectively the continuation of a colonial extractive practice and it is the kind of neoliberal politics that is designed to ensure the continuing domination of Western neoliberal capitalism. Uh, Only this time, the naked emperors uh, have exited the economy, I hear mainly via Panama, and... They've empowered their mutated multinational corporations to impose their corporate law and war on entire nation-states. We all know that countries around the world have reached a critical moment in the fight against climate change. In many ways, we as a society stand at a crossroads that we've never encountered before. 
Last year, hundreds of thousands of people marched in the streets demanding uh, action on climate. I myself was in Paris protesting on the streets when I heard people talking about the historic agreement that had been reached by 190 countries. And yet that agreement in Paris does nothing to hold corporations accountable. In fact, some of the corporations responsible for the disasters, for example, Engie, which started the Hazelwood fire here in Victoria, pay $250 million to become corporate sponsors of the COP21 talks and to have access to the delegates. The only problem was they couldn't hide it in secret because we all know the leaders of the world do not want people advocating for change to talk in secret. Only uh, corporations are allowed to do that. Right now, there have been students across Australia flooding campuses, demanding that their universities divest from fossil fuels, while at the same time, the IMF and the World Bank have made it clear that coal is dead, and if we ever needed another sign of that, (laughs) Peabody's going bankrupt. Yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah. Um, But let's not forget that's their US arm. They're still operating mines here in Australia. So we're facing a climate catastrophe, a humanitarian disaster. If we don't rapidly transit our economies and our way of doing work to 100% renewable energy and keep over 80% of fossil fuels in the ground. That is not some hippie speculation. These are scientific facts, peer-reviewed, agreed upon by 98% of scientists around the world, no matter what the Liberal Party may say. Yet, in sharp contradiction, we have, um, to this very real global threat, 12 countries, uh, which, by the way, successive governments, both Labor and Liberal, have agreed to participate in, are negotiating a trade deal in secret that would empower fossil fuel corporations to undermine the exact climate and conservation policies that we need to tackle the climate crisis and to protect the very air we breathe, the very food we eat and the very water we drink. In Australia, the influence of the mining lobby cannot be underestimated. What other industry in Australia could make money off a country's natural resources and then use that money to take down a Prime Minister while simultaneously funding the opposition to install a climate denier and neoliberal ideologues such as Tony Abbott. Uh, According to Market Forces, which is a Friends of the Earth affiliate, uh, taxpayers subsidised the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $12 billion a year. $12 billion a year. While companies like Chevron paid only $248 in the last financial year, even though they made a $1.7 billion profit. It's, it's insane. It's mad. So this should be deeply concerning to all of us, right? Especially when we consider the trends in ISDS cases. So internationally, there have been nearly 700 ISDS lawsuits launched against over 100 nations, with many mining and energy companies successfully suing foreign governments. By early 2013, one in three cases related to oil, mining or gas, and that was up from one in four in the year 2000. Yet our government has signed us up to expand these corporate privileges to tens of thousands of additional corporations, including major polluters, and as Kelvin noted earlier, the US corporations are the most litigious corporations in the world. 
There are many cases of ISDS that have been used to thwart progressive climate policies. And I just want to give you three quick examples, and there are many, many more. So in Canada, Canada uh, imposed a moratorium on shale gas, much in the same way that Victoria has placed a moratorium on fracking, and we're about to find out what that inquiry has decided on unconventional gas. Uh, So in Canada, uh, when the government imposed that moratorium, a Canadian corporation, Lone Pine, didn't like it. So they used their US office to access ISDS under the NAFTA agreement and sue the Canadian government for compensation of $250 million for placing a moratorium on a particular type of uh, mining that causes tremendous health problems. In the US, uh, recently, TransCanada announced its plan to sue the US government for more than $15 billion, uh, and that's for compensation because the Obama administration rejected the Keystone Pipeline, uh, which is one of the most notorious and reviled proposed fossil fuel projects in the world. And I might add that the only reason that Obama agreed to that was because of extraordinary grassroots campaigning and civil disobedience by uh, populations across the United States of America. Pale, 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 politician. Can you make a right decision for all of us? For all of us. Pale, 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 politician. You're listening to Friends of the Earth's Sam Castro on Earth Matters. This program was produced in the studios of 3CR on the lands of the Wurundjeri and is broadcast across the country on the community radio network. As Sam was saying, it's powerful grassroots movements that are stopping destructive projects. So, with the revolving door of federal politicians and industry heads in full swing... At the same time corporations are striving to increase their power and profit, we are seeing stronger anti-protest laws being introduced in every state. Let's return to hear a bit more from Sam. In Germany, after Fukushima, uh, Germany decided to phase out nuclear power. A Swedish corporation operating there called Vattenfall decided that they didn't like that and they are suing the German government for 3.7 billion euros. Uh, because they don't like the phasing out of radioactive nuclear power stations. So how does all of this relate to Australia? Here in Victoria, we stand poised not only to ban unconventional gas, but also to set this state actually on the path to 100% renewables by 2030. Again, I would like to add, the politicians didn't suddenly wake up one day and and find themselves as conscious human beings. It took an incredible amount of hard work by grassroots communities, by farmers, by people that you would never think would be allies, radical green activists and dairy farmers, coming together and teaching each other how to lock on to shit, um, to stop mining companies from coming in and destroying our food bowl where we grow food to eat right? So these things are really important. And um, I'm really hoping that the the state government does come out and do the right thing and move us 
towards a pathway of sustainability rather than death and destruction. But the TPP could see corporations involved in fracking or even corporations that simply oppose the development of renewable energy uh, suing the Australian government for trying to implement legislation that is in the interest of the people. While farmers across our nation have stood with communities over and over again over the last few years to protect our food bowls from mining and fracking, our government seems hell-bent on giving corporations the means to destroy our water and our food security. And what for? This is, this is short-term profit when you're talking about the destruction of the very source of what sustains us. I actually think it's the big picture stuff that is really important. I want to go back to what Jane said at the very beginning about this, this experiment, this neoliberal agenda that has pervaded everything and somehow managed to entwine itself in the concept of what it means to be democratic. I don't know how it did that, but I know it happened after 9-11. And, and it, was, it was part of the rhetoric of what it was to be with us or against us. Um, and the hyper-individualism that has come with that has created a society that no longer values and sees the strength in community, uh, but instead is prepared to give away its power to a government that is no longer working for the people but has merged itself with the corporations, which I'm pretty sure that's fascism, but... <laughs> I, I could be wrong. Could be jumping the shark a little bit, but you know what I mean. <laughs> So what I want to say in conclusion, we must ask our politicians a very serious question, which the Melbourne Uni students who bared their ass-its recently around divestment asked, as did the students in uh, Queensland who occupied the Chancellor's office, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And why do we keep re-electing these people? It really is a battle for our future, both for humanity and for our planet. I know that sounds dramatic, but it's true. We've got 15, 20 years max to turn ourselves around on a different path. How do you do that when we're signing these Cold War mentality agreements that are designed to privilege people that don't even exist anymore in the real economy? They've created a parallel universe in Panama, right? So... I would like to say to the ALP, because they're our best hope, we don't have, let's be really real about the campaigning component of it, we don't have the numbers to block the enabling legislation in the Senate without the help of the ALP. We just don't have the numbers. What we need to do is to find out if the ALP are truly committed, as their new election slogan states, to putting people first. <clears throat> I, would, I would assume that means also putting people before corporations, although some people say corporations are people. That's part of the neoliberal agenda again right there. So if they are serious about their election slogan, then they have to acknowledge they cannot support in the parliament a trade agreement that contains the ISDS provisions that does nothing to address the very real economic, social and planetary impacts of climate change. They have no vision and no understanding of the road that they are leading us down, if that is the case. If the ALP claim, as they do, that they do not support ISDS, God, and even John Howard supported ISDS. If this is true, 
then they have to stand with the community and those in the union movement and act to block any enabling legislation. This is really a corporate coup d'etat, both of our democracy and of our future and my children's future. And I know it's not a sexy topic, but it's one we have to fight really, really hard for because it doesn't matter what you're interested in, whether you're concerned about food labelling or fracking or forests, this agreement will impact every person's right to try and fight for the things and the places that we love. So I want to end with a quote from Naomi Klein. Her, um, her book that came out last year, This Changes Everything, Capitalism Versus the Climate. She says, Our economic system and our planetary system are now at war. Or more accurately, our economy is at war with many forms of life on Earth, including human life. What the climate needs to avoid collapse is a contraction in humanity's use of resources. What our economic model demands to avoid collapse is unfettered expansion. Only one of these sets of rules can be changed, and it's not the laws of nature. So we are left with a stark choice. Allow climate disruption to change everything about our world or change pretty much everything about our economy to avoid that fate. But we need to be very clear. Because of our decades of collective denial, no gradual incremental options are now available to us. What I would say, just to uh, finish up, is that actually what we're talking about is system change. We're talking about living in a world where the system that governs our communities and our economies no longer serves us. And to change that, we have to reject these old-school agreements that are set up from the very beginning to uh, privilege the few. Uh, and I hope that all of you here tonight will join us to actually stop the TPP, and we can do it. Thank you. As Sam said, we can stop the TPP, but we have a lot of work to do, even just to make folks aware of what's at stake. Since the negotiations were held in secret and little mention of the TPP has made it into the mainstream media. If you want more information, uh, you can go to tppaustralia.org. And if you'd like to listen again or share this show, the podcast of this and other editions of Earth Matters are available at 3cr.org.au backslash Earth Matters. Now we'll speak with Rebecca Prince-Ruiz, founder of Plastic Free July, which has just kicked off for another year. I work for the Earth Carers. It's a waste education program which sits in local government in Perth's western suburbs. And one of the things that we do a couple of times a year is we run a community course called Earth Carers and we take people on the journey of their waste. So we take them to landfill sites and recycling facilities and show them what happens to their waste. And for me, it started by actually going to a recycling facility which sorts our domestic um, recycling and just seeing the sheer volume of what we produce as well as the complex energy-intensive process around the sorting and transportation of those materials for recycling. And one of the problems about plastic in particular is it's made from oil and with falling oil prices, it's often cheaper for producers to use raw material 
rather than use recycled material. Um, and most of the recycling happens overseas. So in Australia last year, we recycled about 20% of all the new plastics that were, were brought in. So recycling is important, but it's not, it's not the whole solution. And reducing and refusing and reusing are, are, are much more important. So that was really the starting of my, my journey on the plastics issue. But then... Um, further down the line became much more aware and did research on the pollution issue and what happens if it ends up in the environment. What are the most significant impacts? Well, plastic is a really useful material. It's it's light, it's cheap, it's very durable. It can have a range of chemicals added to it, so it can be soft, um, it can be made to be hard, um, it can be moulded into lots of different shapes. So it's It's very useful, it's very flexible, um, but all of those problems which make it so useful then become problems when it gets out into the environment. So they say about 80% of the plastics that end up in our oceans came from land-based sources. So people often encounter the plastic pollution as an oceans issue, but actually it starts here on land with the choices that we make. So originally plastic was used for durable items but increasingly it's used for single use or disposable items such as bags, straws, water bottles, packaging, coffee cups that we just use for a few minutes and then and then throw away. So the problem with plastic is it actually breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces and then those smaller pieces are then available as the perfect side to be ingested and, and taken into the into the food chain. And because it lasts forever, um, it's just going to stay out in the environment. So they, um, I've read that they estimate that we use more plastic in the first 10 years of this century than we did in the entire last century. And those figures, with the growth in growth in Southeast Asian countries, those figures are set to double in the next ten years. So, apart from the small amount which has been incinerated, every piece which was ever made still exists on Earth. Well, that's pretty scary numbers. What sort of things are being done to address this issue? So it is a problem, and it's a big problem. They, they estimate about 8 million tonnes a year gets into the oceans worldwide. Um, but where the plastic is being purchased and where it's being used, that's on land. So there's a really wide spectrum of ways that the issue is being dealt with, and it starts with us. It starts with the choices that we make um, Take the use of disposable plastic bags as, as an example there. I think in Australia we use about $4 billion every year and those states which have um, plastic bag bans, people very quickly learn to remember to bring their own. Now, I don't think um, it's one of the great things about doing, a, doing Plastic Free July. It, it um, helps us to form new habits so by remembering our own reusable bags, um, reusable water bottles, reusable coffee cups or dining in, um, refusing unnecessary plastic like straws, trying to 
um, reduce our packaging by buying in bulk and buying fresh local produce. These are all really simple things that that people can do on an everyday basis. And the interesting thing about those items that I just mentioned, they're the um, they're the kind of most common um, disposable plastic that we would encounter as consumers. They're also pretty much the most common. Um, plastic which ends up as litter items in our beaches and our oceans so it's really hard and it is a challenge to get your food plastic free it's a a lot more difficult Um, but just by taking on what we call the top four the bags water bottles straws and coffee cups we can actually start to make a really big difference on those four billion plastic bags and a billion coffee cups that Australians use every year so I think it starts there and it, and it starts with us. Um, there's a lot of organisations and uh, um, out there that are raising awareness of plastic and, and litter on our beaches, um, organising clean-ups and, because if we're cleaning up drains and rivers and picking it up from um, parks and local areas, then it's not going to end up in the ocean. So. Um, that's often kind of where people start to get involved in the issue but if all you ever do is clean up that's all you're ever going to do we actually need to turn this off at the tap and and reduce it at source and I think it's a really valuable material but we just need to really carefully consider how we're going to use this because it is it's designed to last forever and we're using it on items that we use for a few minutes and and throw it away but in, ter- in, in terms of actually starting to what I call head upstream and turning it off on the tap, there's a really a role for everyone. There's a role for education. There's a role for raising awareness in our schools. There's a role for business um, in terms of actually taking responsibility for the packaging that pr- they're producing. And there's a role for our governments as, as well um, by introducing such measures as container deposit schemes where you get a refund for returning beverage containers that's been shown to increase recycling rates and decrease littering rates and the same as as things like banning lightweight plastic bags so there's no one silver bullet um, in terms of fixing this problem um, but it's definitely an issue that we all need to to play a part in. You were mentioning before there's places where they've um, banned plastic bags and people have quickly adjusted. It sounds like those kind of things could be really effective. Tell us a bit about places where that has happened and if there's any moves at the moment to call for, for that around yeah, Australia. So, so um, South Australia has one and as does the ACT and New South Wales is moving towards having a container deposit scheme next year and also um, considering the plastic bag ban. So recently I spent time in San Francisco where they have a very successful plastic bag ban and they actually modelled theirs on one that was introduced in the Republic of Ireland. So there's kind of a number of different ways which the bag bans get introduced. Sometimes um, it's just an outright ban or sometimes it will be a phased approach. Every place that I've travelled and they've had plastic bag bans, it's, it's a matter of 
weeks before um, they, they reduce the use of disposable bags by about 90% and there's a really measurable um, reduction in, in the amount of littering as well. Obviously being very lightweight, they're easy to blow away and end up in the, in the environment. So it's, um, it's, an, it's not an issue which we need to do more research on. There's plenty of places now that have these bans in place and surprisingly the economy doesn't stop. People keep going shopping. The problem, the problem at the moment is that I'm sure if everyone who's listening to this program went and counted the number of bags they had, of reusable bags, they probably have 10 or 20 bags. We've all got them. It's not about needing to go and buy new stuff. It's about forming habits. And if you can just, if there's no incentive for you to remember your own bag and you get to the checkout, oh, no, I left them in the car, I left them at home, it's under the sink, um, it's by the front door, um, we can always take more, whereas if that's taken away and it just isn't on offer or if there's a, a financial um, disincentive, i.e. you have to pay a bag fee, then people very, very quickly have been shown to change their behaviour. I was in Canberra a year ago visiting my sister who was living there and you know I had my bag with me and I, I didn't realise they had a bag ban and... I couldn't believe the number of people were coming in and they either carried their bags or they used a box. All that food which is in our supermarkets and um, has come packaged in cardboard boxes. We can use those same boxes to take it out again if we didn't bring our bags. It's, it's, um, it just takes a bit of thought, but really, to be honest, I think personal behaviour change is only going to get us to a certain point and we really need our, our governments to take initiative to change the legislation and, and do the right thing because there is a great cost and the cost of plastic bags as pollution isn't borne by the plastic bag manufacturers. The cost is borne by the environment and um, marine organisms such as turtles which can ingest it, mistaking it for food, that look quite like jellyfish in the water. So the cost is borne there and the cost is borne by local governments for their street sweeping and their cleaning programs and also volunteers and, and members of the community that are picking up litter. So there is actually quite a large financial cost and simply by introducing legislation and good legislation that doesn't have loopholes, um, we can really start to make a difference on this issue. So can you tell us a bit about Plastic Free July and where people can get involved in the campaigns to, to introduce this important legislation? Okay, so if you go onto our website, we've got lots of information. Um, it's www.plasticfreejuly.org or if you just Google Plastic Free July, it comes up. Um, so when we started the campaign six years ago, we didn't actually start it as a challenge. We just started it as something that we decided to do personally to make a difference on this issue. It's really an awareness-raising campaign. Once you try and take on the challenge of refusing single-use plastic, you realise just how much there is 
in our lives um, and by being part of what has become an organised challenge. You get tips and ideas and you're not doing it by yourself um, and you're very supported with other people in the community. So like I said, when we started it back in 2011, it was, there were about 40 of us in our office and some of our wonderful Earth Carers volunteers in the western suburbs in Perth. And we just, we weren't trying to avoid all plastic, just the single-use stuff I talked about before. Um, people decided if they were going to do it for a day, a week or a month and they also decided if they were going to try and do everything or that top four of the bags, water bottles, straws and coffee cups and it's really grown. So from that 40 people back in 2011, there's over 40,000 people, schools and organisations from about 90 different countries now. Um, when you sign up, all it is, means is you get an email once a week with some tips, ideas, recipes. A whole lot of organisations organise events now, so there might be a movie screening or a beach clean-up or a workshop near you, and they're happening all around Australia. There's about 20 more I need to add to the website today, but it was up to date a couple of days ago. Um, it's a, there's lots of resources there. We use social media, so the um, Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. We've got a lot of people sharing their ideas there. And the great thing is, is look, to be honest, I don't know how to be plastic-free, um, but you know, if I have a question, I can put it on there and say, what about pasta? And someone will answer and say, well, with this brand, you can buy in a box, or here's this place where you can um, buy it in bulk, or here's a recipe to make your own. So it's it's a, um, one of the things I really like about Plastic Free July is that it's a really great example of thinking globally but acting locally by avoiding packaged food. You're actually, um, by default, per tending to purchase fresh local produce, supporting local businesses and connecting more to your local community so it actually has a whole lot of other sustainability benefits it really does raise your awareness and start to form new habits and you certainly won't be alone mm, great well thanks so much for joining us on earth matters today was there anything else that you wanted to add um look the only thing i'd just like to add is just to say to people give it a go and start the conversation and together all our actions can add up and make a difference. Plastic Free July is a good starting point for this huge task ahead. So for more information and pledging, you can go to plasticfreejuly.org. Thanks to Sam Castro for the talk on the TPP and Kat Moore for recording the event. Thank you to Rebecca Prince-Reeds for talking to us about Plastic Free July. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri for which sovereignty was never ceded. 
A big thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association and our Radiothon donors for their financial support and to the Community Radio Network for getting the show out to our listeners nationally. If you want to get in touch, please contact us on earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or via our Facebook page and I'll be posting links from today's show there. And please tune in again next week for more environmental news from all around the planet. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.